ponme la mano aquí, Macorina. Bienvenidos a Radio Manayal. My name is Vero Ayati Flores. And I'm Miriam Soyla Perez, and we are two Latinx friends with wildly different music tastes. Each week we bring you music from the Latinx artists that we love, and this week we bring you a legend. It's her birthday coming up on April 17th. Today is Friday, the day this episode is coming out, the 14th, but so next week will be Chabela's birthday. This is a whole deep dive on Chabela Vargas, which we've been meaning to do for a minute. Yeah, a legend, a legend, a ranchera legend. So you, I kind of did the biography research and you picked this song. So tell us about the song that we're listening to. Uh, this song is incredible. Let's take a listen to it and we'll come back to it. This is called Macorina. <laughs> La misma de aquel danzón Ponme la mano aquí, Macorina Ponme la mano Ponme la mano aquí, Macorina Ponme la mano Después el amanecer Que de mis brazos te lleva Y yo sin saber de aquel olor a mujer a mango y a caña nueva con que me llenaste al son caliente de So this song was written by Chabela Vargas based on a poem, I believe, about a sex worker. Um, and one of the things that's so iconic about this song is the perspective of um, her as a female singer telling a woman where to put her hand for her sexual pleasure. Um, this was part of her debut album in 1961. It was completely scandalous at the time. And it's it's it was just it's just incredible to me that she pulled this shit right. off that she just did that. I think that it's like one of the things that's a little indicative of her character of like her like you know what like I do not give a fuck. I'm gonna live how I'm gonna live, and she wasn't like the kind of person who was like officially out in the way that we think today um, at that time. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't really necessary like that, or it wasn't culturally relevant to be out like that, or it was, de- you know, like, but sh- I, I don't know, like, how can you be? <laughs> this song is incredible and um, became like a lesbian anthem, sort of. Yeah, I mean, it's very like, I think we've talked about this with other artists as well, that it's kind of when it's like an open secret. It's like everyone knows it, but no one names it. You know, everybody knew. I mean, she wore suits. Like there was nothing. She was not trying to pretend to be anything than what she was, but there wasn't this like, yeah, concept of like gay pride or, you know, like it was just like, this is, you know, my closet is made of glass. Like there's no hiding for her, but there was also no, yeah, it wasn't actually until her 80s and her autobiography that she finally officially like named um, being gay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about her, too, is that, you know, this was 1961. She was born in 1919, so her career started pretty late, um, like, or her success started pretty late. But it makes sense if you, like, know more about her biography. So she was actually born in Costa Rica, but she's very associated with Mexico because that became her, like, cultural home. She Mm -hmm. started, she says, um, there's a really beautiful documentary that came out about her in 2017. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, Both of us have watched it. It's really beautiful, and you should take a look. This is where a lot of this information comes from. One of the things she says in the documentary is, yo nací cantando, you know, so she was always singing um, and officially kind of started as an eight-year-old. And um, she was raised by like a relative or parents rejected her um, because of her tomboyishness, probably. They were also divorced, so it was like a difficult upbringing. And then she left as soon as she could, basically, and went to Mexico. And she'd fallen in love with Mexico because of uh, Mexican film and cinema and what she knew about that that country through that and so she left i saw different ages cited different places either 14 or 17 but Mm. she just set off for mexico on her own um and she had a really you know difficult time of it initially she was like singing on the streets like she didn't her actual career did not start until like veto said she was you know basically in her 40s right by the time her first album came out and so she had a whole like kind of coming up in the scene in different ways and trying to make a name for herself as this you know, person who stood out so much by being a woman singing rancheras, not changing pronouns of the songs and dressing like a man. Like it was very, um, it's very distinctive. Yeah. Yeah. And she basically, I think was like a singer that became known around like Acapulco and the other, you know, it's like tourist areas and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like this film industry that Chabela, um, went to follow is this is like the Mexican golden age of cinema um so it was like one of the it was like a huge cultural hub um of you know just film in Mexico and some there's a lot of music that also sort of came out of those um of those movies of those classic Mexican films from the golden age and um a lot of the you know folk songs that are known as Mexican folk songs came from that including some of the uh, Chavela Vargas songs that we're gonna be um, we're gonna be talking about today. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, and she would have been 104 this week, so um, it it really does feel like in many ways she's like was ahead of her time and just like yeah the way that she lived so unapologetically as herself and found her way towards some level of acceptance. Um, but really, you know, it was not an easy path as we're gonna talk about, and there was a lot of suffering and struggle. Yeah, for sure. She was a complicated character. Very complicated, yeah. What's the next song that you picked for us to listen to? So the next song is Ranchera. Um, and Chavela was really well known for her rancheras. Like you said, she's originally from Costa Rica, but became really, um, you know, really adopted Mexico as her home and mm-hmm. Mexican folk music as her genre. So uh, let's take a listen. This is Paloma Negra. De llorar y no amanece. Ya no sé si maldecirte o por ti rezar. 
tengo miedo de buscarte y de encontrarte. ¿Dónde me aseguran mis amigos que te vas? Hay momentos en que quisiera mejor rajarme y arrancarme y a los clavos de mi penar. Pero mis ojos se mueren sin mirar tus ojos. So this is a ranchera originally by um, Tomás Méndez, but as far as I could tell, originally released by her in 1961. And since then, it's become a really iconic ranchera and it's sang by, um, you know, covered by everyone from like Jenny Rivera to Lola Beltrán. And uh, to me, this is one of the songs that really displays really shows off the power of her voice. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that she's known for, and that is really, like, in many ways, part of the ranchera genre is drinking. And, like, mm-hmm. drinking, you know, these songs are sort of, like, drunken love songs or drunken melancholy or whatnot. And so, yes, unfortunately, yes. you know, for her, that was a big part of her life as well, was drinking and drinking on stage. And, um, and it became, you know, a vice that was really, really... Um, had a really negative impact on her well-being and her health. And um, it. she did eventually get sober, but it took a long time. And there was a, like, her career totally fell apart in the meantime. And um, she says that she was actually sort of um, nursed back to health at her low point by a, an indigenous family that, like, found her on the street and didn't know who she was. Oh. And that they, um, a Huichol family took her in from the streets and nursed her back to health. So... Um, you know, you can think about how how low you have to get, you know, that she was probably essentially living on the streets and close to death. And so, you know, it's one of the, the difficult things about the industry we've talked about a lot is a lot of people in the music industry struggle with um, alcoholism, with drug use. It's like so, so common. Um, and even people who need to be intoxicated to be on stage. And I saw something in the documentary about how she was actually very... Um, nervous to perform and so that might be why you know she used alcohol to to give her some sort of like liquid courage to perform um but yeah it it had a really negative impact on her on her life and her health and it's actually amazing that she lived till she did at 93 given how much she drank and how um how much she it impacted her but she was able to at some point get sober and and uh at least cut that part out of her life and she actually didn't um she didn't perform sober until she was 72 years old. Wow. It was the first time. Wow, and that's incredible. I know. And that like um, kind of launched a new phase of her career at that late stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, you know, she stopped performing for a while. It was like the 80s when she basically lost everything because of her drinking. Um, and then also maybe um, this was in the documentary that she was potentially blacklisted at that time by the record company by a record company because she stole some guy's girlfriend. <laughs> so she was oh also like, Oh my God. That she is was like, a, a, I don't care if that's true or not. That's too I good. Know. She was like, a, <laughs> you know, she was like a mujeriega, you know, it's not a word you hear as much as mujeriego, but she really yeah, was I like, think she, it really sounds like she was. Yeah. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about her, um, about her love life, but it was kind of, um, she had an epic reputation for debauchery and also for, um, 
Yeah, sleeping with married women and all sorts of things. To be fair to her, like, what woman wasn't married back then? Like, you had to, like, you know, like, you know, like, it's like, how else were you going to survive financially if you weren't married to a man who had a job? So how the fuck else were you supposed to be gay? Right. Unless you're sleeping with, like, young, young women, which is also questionable. Yeah, you're fair. You're right. You're right. Good point. Good point. So maybe I won't judge her for the fact that they were married. Miss <laughs> <laughs> um, steal your girl. <laughs> but it did seem to affect, potentially affect her career and, <laughs> and part of her downfall. Um, but I think she also started just oh to get God. sloppy. Like her drunkenness just sort of started to be, um, affect her professional life, which we've seen with yeah. other, you know, other famous musicians as well, where they can't keep it together. It starts to, to negatively affect their performance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's take a listen to what I think is one of Chavela's more iconic songs. Yeah, I think this so. This is also um, a, just a Mexican folk song. She didn't write it. Mexican folk song of unknown origin. She's just made it sound so emotional and so beautiful. And I don't know, to me, there's like, this is like the Chavela Vargas song. This is La Llorona. Let's take a listen. the depth of feeling in this song. So an article that I read um, about um, her love life um, and, and, you know, speaking of relationships with married women, her most famous one was a relationship with Frida Kahlo that started actually like in the forties when she was a young woman in Mexico. And so the story goes that they met at a party at Frida and Diego's house. And, and uh, Chavela talks about this in the documentary. Um, There's a quote from that, where she said about meeting Frida for the first time, quote, her eyebrows together were a swallow in flight, (laughs) which I thought Mm. was very poetic (laughs) about her iconic um, unibrow. 
So supposedly, according to this article I read, she dedicated this version of La Llorona to La Llorona to Frida. And so you can sort of like put a whole nother layer of meaning on the song and her emotion in it if you think about it. So she and Frida were in a relationship. She actually lived with Frida and Diego for a while at the Casa Azul, um, but left after a period of time. It does, seems like it was not a very long relationship, um, supposedly because she didn't want to share Frida with Diego and Frida was not mm gonna leave Diego um, for whatever reason including potentially yeah what you were talking about about you know needing yeah needing and she you know Frida had health issues and stuff she was not you know there was lots of things going on and maybe she loved him maybe he was abusive maybe all of these things are true so um, so yeah it was a it was a brief it was a brief affair um, but supposedly yeah this this song is dedicated to to Frida interesting interesting well one of the things that I think um, is interesting is that, um, you know, this is a song of unknown origin by this composer, um, Andres Enestrosa, who popularized it in the 40s, said he heard it for the first time in the isthmus of um, Tehuantepec. And mm-hmm. the lyrics um, talk about the, you know, La Llorona's huipil, which is a garment worn by indigenous women. And I think that Frida um, wore um, mm-hmm. huipiles also. So, um, so I think that's it's like oh, okay. a fascinating tidbit there yeah that is really interesting yeah that is really interesting and I think that didn't didn't Chabela didn't wear one also when she performed this it's possible yeah but yeah so this song is about the legend of La Llorona um, which is popular in Mexico and throughout Latin America I think I knew it um, when mm-hmm. I was growing up Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Perez, you grew up with La Llorona. I did not. No. Yeah. My mom, um, her, she's an academic and her research is about Sor Juana Inés de la Cruz. And I remember one time who's like a famous Mexican nun who was like a feminist. And some people think she was a lesbian. Um, my mom says that's like not the, the least interesting thing about her. That's <laughs> what she said. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but she, I remember one time she told us like a ghost story, like my friends and I, like a sleepover. She like made up a ghost story about Sor Juana. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was clever. But yeah, La Llorona is kind of a, a, a somewhat scary tale, right? It has like... It's a very scary and disturbing spooky, tale. It's right. about a woman who, I think it, there's several versions, but I think that she like drowns her children yeah. For or like kills her children for like any number of reasons. Uh, I think depending on where the mythology is, I think that like some um, some mythologies are that she drowned her children in a river to spite her her husband who was unfaithful. Um, but anyway, she had a hand in killing her children, and now she's like um, condenada a caminar por las tierras forever, even though she she died. She can't like you know access peace anymore because she did that she murdered her children it sounds like a catholic yeah and then she's crying because she murdered her children she's devastated and it's just like the creepiest fucking tale that you can tell a child yeah 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 well this is a beautiful song and the song is incredible and um there's some really beautiful footage of her in different performances in the documentary singing the song she just had like an incredible stage presence. And it's, I, I don't know, it's sad because it seems like there's a correlation between like the experience of suffering and the ability to really communicate that through your art, you know, and music. It's like, she's not the only yeah. person in this position. Um, and so 
But I guess it's like if the suffering is there to be able to create something beautiful out of it. And she made a life for herself and she was able to, you know, come back from that time of destitution and, um, and have a, a second career. So yeah, it was not the way that she accesses that emotion in this song in particular. So incredible to me. I feel like it's just, she, it's just right there, you know, like you, we're all experiencing it. Um, just as she is as listeners. And I think that that's, I don't know, to me, that's a talent that is, um, it's very singular. It's true. I found a quote that I liked in the Mexico daily post that said, she didn't just sing ranchera. She lived them. Mm. And those are, they're yeah. tough stories to live. The bad and the ugly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's that comes tough through. Place to live. Yeah. But that really does come through in her. And yeah, yeah. she's this like complicated queer icon. And, um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about why it's so, she's so complicated after this next song, yeah? Yeah, this song is a good little background for that conversation. This is originally by Pedro Infante, speaking of the golden age of Mexican cinema. Uh, this is called Por Que Volviste a Mi. song is originally by Pedro Infante who was you know like a movie star and singer and um, you know another instance of a romantic interest that's presumed to be female where no pronouns are changed right so sometime after she was kind of brought back to health and, and from destitution she connected with kind of her longest partner um, romantic partner a lawyer named Dr. Alicia Perez Duarte, and she actually is in um, the documentary, pretty heavily featured in the documentary, Um, and they became partners, and it's a, you know, it's a sweet love story. This woman helped Chavela along with some, alongside some healers that she liked to reference, get sober, and so, you know, she was able to kind of get her health back on track, but it's clearly very, a very complicated relationship, and even like watching Alicia talk about their relationship you know it's like clear that she really loved this woman and still loves her and also that this woman caused her a lot of pain and so even after she got sober what is known is that she was incredibly violent as a partner and so um 
you know, that's, it's like, I think it's hard to like square that, right? In the legacy of any one that you admire to know that they caused harm to someone else and that they were abusive. And, and, you know, sometimes you think, okay, well, drinking, it's like, they're not under their own control, but then, you know, she's sober, but she's still obviously dealing with emotions that she can't handle and then acting out in these Mm. really horrific ways. So they ended up, um, eventually separating because of that. Um, but it's, yeah, you can see the impact that, um, that Chevla had on Alicia and, and the way she talks about her in the documentary. Yeah. Damn. That's a lot. I know. And I don't, there's no, I haven't seen anything about other relationships she had after that point. Um, but she did have a whole, you know, next kind of phase of her career, including some time living in Spain and a relationship, a close relationship with, Pedro Almodovar and other other Spanish kind mm-hmm. of culture makers that I think helped propel the last phase of her life and her career. Yeah, I think that like for people of our generation, um, it was those Pedro Almodovar movies that um, were part of bringing her work to light. Um, at least I think for me, that's that's where uh, I probably first heard her, and then um, you know those movies were such um they're such iconic works that they have like a huge presence in the in like cultural lexicon even though he's Pedro Almodovar is Spanish like across the Spanish language world I think has a lot of resonance Spanish speaking world you know I know his films but I actually didn't make the connection to her music and I only really learned about her through this podcast actually oh, as like this you know lesbian musical icon essentially Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. i'm late to my um yeah my knowledge of her i'm sure i heard her music and just didn't know yeah know what i was what i was hearing in his films um and so i um, actually have no recollection of like discovering her existence you know yeah it's just always been a part of your understanding you think no not always not always and not like when I was a kid my parents didn't really listen to you know yeah I've talked before my parents aren't like really super musical or anything so it's not like they exposed me to their vast musical taste and insofar as they had them Mexican folk and rancheras were not part of them so yeah that's the thing about yeah rancheras weren't um, yeah somewhere along the way I learned about Chavela yeah, I mean, Rancheras... in my 20s. That's also probably when I was watching Almodovar films. Right. Yeah, I mean, I feel like Rancheras as a genre don't have as much, like, international play as, like, other Mexican music. I think it's more regional, so... Although, you know, I do think she's relatively well-known, but not, you know, not at the level of some of other Mexican singers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I feel like it's it's not uncommon, right? There's a number of like reggaetoneros and other music men in music that we know whose music we like that we know that they have been um, known to like abuse their wives or like they've gotten in, thrown in jail for a violent yeah. assault against a loved, you know, loved one. Violation, cre- right, credible violation, exactly. credible um, allegations of assault or Right, right. Violence. And so we know that, you know, while there's definitely like a gendered pattern around things like domestic violence, it is not exclusively something that happens between two men. Um, oh, but no. I don't I don't have that this she's the only person I can think of, the only woman that I can think of where I know this much about her personal history or this particular thing. And so to hold that, you know, the complexity of that as someone who I do think she's, you know, this She's an, a queer icon and that she, you know, lived her life in such a way, in such a, 
in such a difficult time to be who she was um, and experienced a lot of hardship. But then it's hard to square it with, you know, the suffering and the harm that she caused someone that she loved. Yeah, for sure. What's your next song that you picked? So the next song is a classic bolero, Chavela's rendition of Piensa en Mi. Chavela's cover of the classic um, by Agustin Lara. It's a song that was originally written in 1935. Um, and actually I learned that Agustin Lara composed a song with his sister um, doing research for this episode, yeah. um, which I think is unknown. So shout out also Maria Teresa Lara. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was popularized in 1948 because it was in the Mexican film Revancha. Again, we're... Um, talking about the golden age of Mexican cinema here. So um, like many songs um, during that time was popularized through a film. Do you think it's unique that like, you know, she has some original music, but a lot of her music is covers. I mean, that makes sense with Rancheras too, because it is this like genre with a lot of classics. Um, But I wonder if she's unique in that there isn't like her, she had 80 albums Um, And I actually guess I don't know how much of the 80 albums that she released were original things that she wrote versus things that were covers. But I know in this episode, we're doing a lot of covers. I just like wonder about that. Yeah, I think that that is a very normal thing for people within folk traditions, right? If you're you're like un interprete from like a folk tradition, one of the things you do is you, um, you know, you do classic songs over and over again. And this is like a normal thing to do within the ranchera space, obviously. Um, you know, people are doing covers of classics over and over and over again, but it's not unique to rancheras in the sense of like a folk genre um, where there's sort of these like folk classics that are passed down from either generation or generation. Some, you know, like La Llorona people right. um, aren't even really, <laughs> can't even really pin down the origin. Um, so um, I think that it's normal in this tradition and um, and I and but yes so I think that like some folks are like a mix of cover and and songwriting and she did do some songwriting obviously but um, but yeah I don't know how much I think but I do think it is like the a normal path in 
uh, a folk genre to cover classics and make classics. Co- you know, covers make classics in, in these genres also. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So she died in 2012. Um, she was 93. She had been living in Spain, but she went back to Mexico because she wanted to die in Mexico. You know, that was like mm. this feeling that that was like her cultural home, um, her yeah. adopted home. Yeah. And, you know, the country that made her life possible, made her career possible. Yeah. So, right. um, so yeah, and she lived to 93. It's like incredible that she made it that long, given what she did her to her body and, and the difficult conditions in which she lived. So, and um, And yeah, like we said, she came out when she wrote in a biography she published at 81, but it was not a surprise to anyone. It was just, um, so in 80, at 81, she would have been, it would have been like 2000 around the year 2000. So, you know, she's, her life spanned most of the 20th century, which is kind of incredible, you know, 1919 to 2012. Um, and, and yeah, how different things were right (laughs) in that span of 80 years. I will also say, that um, even though she was 81 when she came out, the year 2000 was not an easy year to be Fair. to come out. Like things Fair. were so so very different 23 years ago. Yeah. Um, in terms of how socially acceptable it was for anyone to be out, um, and so it's very brave of her to you know like just like speak it out loud, right? To say the thing that people know, but um. But like say it out loud. To name it at that time. Right, right. You're right. Yeah, and there's some people who never did it, like Huanga. You know, he yeah. never did it. Yeah. Even though he lived later than uh, than she did, you know. Yeah, um, that's right. But yeah, but she never hit it. You know, she was always herself in that way, and that's takes a lot of like coraje, you know, to do that. Yeah. I'm sure Absolutely. she faced a lot of shit for being just a woman in a suit. You know, at alone. Mm-hmm. In the thirties and forties and fifties and sixties. Protagonists, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Incredible. And I hope, you know, I don't know very much about the end of her life. I hope that she that her intimate relationships were free of harm, you know? Yeah. More that she peaceful. was able to be yeah, in relationship with people without causing harm because I know that, that that causes a lot of grief for the person who does harm as well. You know, it's a hard thing to live mm-hmm. with that kind of behavior. All right. Well, I have one last song for y'all because she was such an iconic uh, singer of rancheras. We're going to end in a ranchera. This is called Que Te Vaya Bonito. Ojalá que te vaya bonito Ojalá que se acaben tus penas Que te digan que yo ya no existo Que conozcas personas más buenas Que te dé lo que no pude dar Aunque yo te haya dado de todo Nunca más volveré a molestarte Te adoré, te perdí y ya ni modo 
cuántas cosas quedaron prendidas hasta dentro del fondo de mi alma cuántas luces dejaste encendidas so this is also a classic, a ranchera originally by El Rey de las Rancheras, um, composer Jose Alfredo Jimenez Sandoval, who also wrote like, I think like the ranchera song to me is El Rey. Mm. <laughs> and he also wrote that. And this is a, you know, a very, anyone popular or anyone familiar with rancheras will know que te vaya bonito. Another, it's another classic. And I, I love her cover. It's, um... It's also it's also so interesting, you know, like knowing what we know about her life, like for her to embody these songs and like what she put into them, you know, like the emotional, her own emotional landscape with these songs is so fascinating to me. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I know I've said it already, but I really highly recommend go to the link, check out the documentary, really get a very like intimate look and um, feel for her, both her performing and her intimate and personal life and the things that she struggled with. So I'm going to rewatch it because it's been a few years and I really yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, we'll link it in the show notes. Well, thank you all so much for listening to our episode about the icon Chavela Vargas. It's sort of incredible that we haven't done this yet. I think that we planned to do this a while ago and then we just like <laughs> didn't get around to it. And We planned, yeah, <laughs> we planned to do it a hundred episodes ago, which is like... <laughs> It's a long time in our, yeah, in our podcast. I was like, wait, isn't Chavela's birthday soon? So yeah, thanks, um, <laughs> here we are. Happy 104th birthday, Chavela. I hope you are, you know, eating someone's pussy in heaven. Hopefully Frida, Carlo. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that idea. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, as always, all the information about these songs, the documentary, things we mentioned are in the show notes at radhumenea.com. And give us a follow if you're not already on Instagram and on Twitter. And shout out to Maite for editing our show. We also have a newsletter that you can subscribe to where we tell you what we're reading and what we're into these days. So make sure to subscribe to that if you want us in your inbox. And thank you so, so much for listening. Hasta la próxima. Bye. La mano aquí, Macorís.